Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 139. And today we have a teaching on money and greed. And, you know, if you're anything like me, as soon as you read a parable about greed or money, my first thought, to be honest, was this isn't going to apply to me. And the reason I, I say I say that is, is because I really haven't thought that much about money in the last week. And I, I rarely think about greed, rarely. But here's the thing about greed. Jesus spoke about possessions and money and greed more than any other subject. And there's a reason for that. And I think one of the reasons is whether we're aware of it or not, people in general have a lot of trouble in this area. There's a, we have a lot of trouble sorting out our possessions, our money, our, what we need, what we don't need. It's just hard for us. And uh, it doesn't really matter if you have a lot or a little. It's just as hard for people. So I think that's maybe why he spent so much time talking about greed and money. Actually, this parable is is really even more than money. It's called the parable of the rich fool. You know, when when we think about it, if you go way, way back to the very first story in the Bible, the very first story... In Genesis, remember Adam and Eve and, and the fruit tree? That's That story at some level is about always wanting a little bit more, isn't it? When you think about it. Because remember, the story was Adam and Eve, God said, you can eat whatever you like. It's all yours. There they are in this beautiful garden, paradise, everything they could hope for. God said, yeah. Help yourself, enjoy it. But don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, what did they want? Right? What did they want? They look at the they look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they think, yeah, that's the fruit tree, that's the tree I want. That's the one, that's the fruit. Yeah, it's like we're always looking for something else, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Why do we do that? Why do people do that? You know, why is it so difficult to find contentment? Well, Jesus addresses this, and what we have come to name the parable of the rich fool is actually from uh, the New Testament, is from Luke chapter 12. And this, this parable is fairly simple at one level, as they usually are. So there was this, the story is, is that there's a farmer and he's really successful. The farm's very successful and he produces a terrific crop. And since his barns weren't big enough to hold the crop, he said to himself, okay, what I'll do is I'll tear down the barns, I'll build bigger ones, and then I'll say to myself, You've done well, you've got it made, you can retire, take it easy, have the time of your life, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. And then the parable ends with, God says, fool, tonight 
you die. Tonight you'll die. And your barn full of goods, who's going to get that? This is what happens when you fill your barns with yourself and not God. And then the message, Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, on first reading, we're all going to agree with this. Really, we're actually, at some level, we're going to say, well, that's just common sense, isn't it? Most of us are going to agree with that. Um, we would say possessions and money can't really bias the important things in life, like health or a happy home, right? You can't really buy a happy home. You can't really buy peace of mind. You can't buy your health, right? So upon first reading, we might be somewhat tempted to put this parable to the side. So when I first read this parable, my initial reaction was, eh, it's about greed, it's about money. Mm, it's not really my issue this week. And that often, often happens upon a first reading of any of these texts in the scripture. All Jesus' teaching. I mean, just it's just the way that it is. is upon first reading, it often doesn't hit you because they're set up in such a way that you're, the idea is, is that you reflect upon the parable. And as you reflect on it, it's like an onion that you start to peel off the layers. It starts to reveal deeper truths. So if we start to peel off some of these layers, let me give you the context of this. I've mentioned this before, that it's really important to get the setting for a story, for a parable. The, the, the setting is, is that someone in the crowd who's listening to Jesus teach uh, asks Jesus a question. And he asks him, he says, Rabbi, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So obviously there's some family conflict, right? There's an inheritance issue and someone comes up to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother here to divide the inheritance. So it seems like a fair thing to ask. And Jesus refuses to get involved with this family conflict. Doesn't want to get involved with it. But instead, what he does is he discerns the heart of the matter. He's always, Jesus is always concerned about why people do what they do or why people say what they say. He's far more interested in motive than anything else. So when this person comes up and says, can you settle this family inheritance problem? Jesus points out the underlying problem, the subtext. And in this case, He's discerning the problem is greed. So he looks below the surface of the question, looks below the surface and he discerns, mm, you know what, you're giving me the impression that you're concerned about your fair share. You're giving me the impression that you want me to help you get what's rightfully yours, but something else is going on here. Something else is really going on here. The thing on the table isn't the thing. And this happens so often 
in conversations all the time. The thing on the table isn't the thing. You know, there's the subtext that's, that's going on. And Jesus would call that uh, the motives of the heart, the motives of the heart. Yeah, so with the question Jesus saying, yeah, you know, it's not really about your inheritance. What the, the real issue you have here is greed. And what's fascinating is, is that from the beginning of time, whatever we have, people, in terms of money or savings or clothes or homes, well, some people like different things other than others, cars or salaries or properties or... I mean, whatever, doesn't really matter. Choose whatever you like. Most people tend to just want a little bit more. Whatever it is we really like, we want just a little bit more. And we're very protective of what we have. Very protective. And I'm speaking here about, this is after our basic needs are met, right? Let's just assume that, and I know this is a big assumption, but speaking primarily to people who, after our basic needs are met, after the shelter, the food, the clothing, whatever our basic needs are, after that, the majority of people would like just a little bit more. Now, we would all like more of different things, right? We're not all wired the same way. But this does seem to be common to people, this idea of a little bit more would be good and it would make me happier, which means we have trouble being content. We have trouble being content. And it doesn't matter if we're poor or rich or in between, however we would classify ourselves. Poor people can have trouble with greed and being content. Rich people can have trouble with greed and being content. In-between people can have trouble with greed and being content. It's not really about being rich or poor, actually. In the parable, the farmer is a fool, not because he's rich, not because he's a great businessman. Jesus calls him a fool because he wasn't rich toward God, which, of course, begs the question, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Rich before God, Jesus says, yeah, he's a fool. He wasn't rich toward God. So the, the parable of the farmer is, I mean, he happened to be a good business person. He just has no place to store his abundance. He builds a bigger barn to store his grain. There's only really nothing wrong with that. It's like having a big bank account. One level, there's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus is pointing out a more subtle problem that people have. He's saying, yeah, mm-hmm. beware of this. Beware of this desire for more. And then once you do secure more, what happens? Because that kind of desire can take over your life and influence your choices. And you can end up with having more. Right, this rich farmer in the parable, yeah, he ends up with more, but the irony, of course, is is that he never really enjoys it. 
Because at the end of the parable, it's like he's saying, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Eat, drink and marry. I'm fine. I'm good. It's like, no, you're not because tonight you're dead. And then what happens to all your stuff? What happens to all your stuff that you've worked so hard for when you die? Yeah, someone else will get it and squander it, <laughs> right? So I think he's lifted up as foolish because he's trying to secure everything he needs in life without any thought of God at all. In fact, his dialogue, the farmer's inner dialogue, is completely ego-centered. It's all about me. He says, what shall I do? I will pull down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and I will store my grain, and I will say, you have ample goods for years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God says, fool, this night your life is being demanded of you. So it's like, you don't have that kind of control, farmer. You don't have that kind of control. This night you die, then what? This night it's over. All your plans, what will happen now? All your years of eat, drink and marry, not going to happen. And who's going to get all your stuff? Who's going to get your stuff? Somebody else will squander it away. That's foolish, God says. You don't have that kind of control. And I wonder about this parable, if the bottom line in this parable, the core teaching, the heart of the matter is security. You know, if this farmer's trying to secure his future, right? And if we could buy security, we would buy it, right? Because no, no price would be too great. If you could buy peace of mind, you'd say, yeah, well, how much? If you could buy success, if you could buy the perfect partner, if you could buy a trouble-free life, of course, you would want to, no price would be too great, right? If you could buy uh, success for your children and they'll be happy and they'll be well-adjusted and they'll all find wonderful partners and of course you'd say, yeah, no, no, no price would be too great. Why? Because it's important to you. It's important to you. These things are important to you. Uh, the problem is, Jesus would say, yeah, well, you can't buy these things. You can't, you can't buy these things. There, there are certain things that we can't secure alone. And no amount of time and work and energy and planning can secure, for example, a stress-free life, right? Because the world isn't set up this way. But we can forget this obvious fact and we can live like we can secure it. See, this farmer's trying to secure his future. He wants everything to be good. He wants to be happy. He wants enjoyment. He wants a good life. It's like, well, is there something wrong with that, Jesus? Is there something wrong with that? Well... If you go about securing it in the wrong way, yes, there's something wrong with it, Jesus is teaching. 
because that kind of security cannot be bought. It's just foolish to think that way. Foolishness is thinking that we can work for or buy or secure the deepest needs and longings that we have. It's like, no, you can't get that by yourself. You can't. Life, is, life isn't set up this way. Life, this world, by its very nature, is insecure and forever changing. Now, if nothing else, the pandemic taught us that, didn't it? Or it is teaching us. We're still in it here, right? So, you know, a lot of our routines and our daily patterns were completely disrupted, right? By just trying to buy a half loaf of bread was a hassle, right? So the things that we thought were unchanging and secure and pleasant and joyful and, you know, just going over and having dinner with your friends, simple things. It's like, no, can't do that. Now, I think, I mean, obviously, this is alarming. There's no way around the grief and the loss. If you consider what we've all gone through this last few years, if you consider it at any length of time at all, it's filled with change and grief and loss. And... Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, consider it, I think Jesus would say, because if you're not rich toward God, you have nothing. There are certain things that can never be taken away from you. So when we're talking about if, if, you're, if you're not rich toward God, you know, remember I said earlier on, what does that phrase mean? Well, I think one of the things that that phrase might mean is what are the things that can never, ever be taken away from you? Let's say you have the barns, and let's say they're filled up, and let's say, I don't know, something happens and they're emptied, okay? All our worldly possessions can easily disappear for whatever reason. What are the things that we have that cannot be taken away from us? Now, this is where we get into trouble because you can't really use family and loved ones here. Not really. Right? And you can't use your stuff and your money and your possessions. So what is left then? If we can't, if we can't use, if we can't count on, absolutely guarantee and base everything on our loved ones, our possessions, our home. What do we have? What do we have left? Yeah, we see, see what he's getting at is? So much of what we truly want and need cannot be worked for or secured by us. It can only be received and it can't be grasped. And really, when it gets right down to it, the one thing that we have that can never be taken away is what we have with God, God with us, every step of the way. Remember Jesus said, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
You always have that. You always have that. It doesn't matter what happens around you. Possessions come and go. People come and go. Jobs come and go. Houses come and go. There's a lot of coming and going, a lot of, you know, building up and tearing down. But the one thing that never, ever changes, Emmanuel, God with us, it is, it's, it's the foundation of everything. Jesus, Jesus would say, this is what it is to be rich toward God. You have to have something in your life that can never be taken away. And we have that, actually. I mean, this is what God has told us many, many times and in many, many different ways. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. No matter what happens, you will always have that in this life and then on to the next life. I mean, it's an everlasting sort of a thing. Yeah, Jesus would say, in this world... It's good to remember. Actually, Jesus was the one who said, in, the, in this world, you'll have trouble. So it's good to remember. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not supposed to be the be-all and end-all. Jesus said, in this, in this world, you will have trouble, but be encouraged. I have overcome the world. In other words, you and I in this together, we're partnered together in this. You're going to be just fine because you're not alone. So there's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Whatever it is we're going through, whether it's some kind of loss or whether it's some kind of unmet, unfulfilled need or desire or that longing for more or that wishing for something else, whatever it is, it's so like Jesus is coming along with his parable. It's like, you know what? You have what you need. You have what you need. It's like the prayer is, God, help me to look in the right places. I don't want to be foolish. Help me to look in the right places for what I need. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher, join with me again next week for another episode.